Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to Kitchen Club with me Serena Lau and my lovely co-host Sarah Malcolm. Hello! We are so happy you've been enjoying season two so far. We absolutely love hearing from you all on Instagram and seeing what you're cooking. But for anyone who is new around here, Kitchen Club is the weekly podcast that brings you conversations from our kitchen table. Each week brings a new guest, a new area of expertise to get stuck into, and a new recipe created with our guests' three all-time favorite ingredients. We also ask our guests to share their healthy habit, which is something that enhances their well-being, which we then dive into a little deeper when we speak to them. This week, we're chatting to the fabulous Henrietta Inman. Henrietta is a pastry chef, author, cookery teacher, gardener, and edible flower grower who celebrates baking with natural, seasonal, and local ingredients all sourced sustainably. This was a really lovely in-person recording before the corona pandemic hit, and we were very fortunate to chat to Henrietta about her passion for vegetables, her career in food from training as a pastry chef to having her own restaurant residency, and also how she deals with the strong masculine energy of a professional kitchen. She was a absolute an absolute total delight to interview we had such a giggle with her (laughs) she's also the best guest ever because she bought us delicious chocolate so once we are back to recording IRL maybe that's a little subtle hint hint for any future guests (laughs) so without further ado make yourself a cup of tea get comfy and enjoy the wonderful Henrietta Inman on Kitchen Club Henrietta, welcome to Kitchen Club. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. We've been um, admiring you, actually, for many years, haven't we, Selena? So it's a real real joy to have you. (laughs) We were talking earlier about how um, when Serena and I worked in the Delicious Liana office and we would 
look at your book. Really? Almost every day, right? It's so beautiful, your first book. The first one. Oh, those recipes. I'm going to talk about that later because one of them is my absolute favourite recipe and any excuse, any cake for anyone, I make it. (laughs) Do you? Okay, let's get into that a bit then. (laughs) You can have a thing and guess which one it is. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good thing. (laughs) Um, So we have just eaten we had quite a light a light lunch today didn't we a bit of a picnicky lunch a picnic-y, yeah picky yes. picky stuff very delicious. tell us your three favorite ingredients Henrietta um I was telling you earlier that I find this question very difficult but um I think I said to you in the first year I said chocolate molden salt and eggs and then I said colorful vegetables <laughs> in caps lock it said oh and vegetables <laughs> Um, so yes, I love, and then I think I took off salt or something. Anyway, um, I love cooking really seasonally and I think, um, vegetables are sort of, I, any dish or menu I'm planning, I think the inspiration always comes from the vegetables that are in season first. And then I would suddenly think, oh, I really want to cook a massive bit of beef or that doesn't really, first of all, I think of sprouting broccoli and something else and then maybe think it might go with beef even though I mostly prefer to eat vegetarian mm. um but when I'm thinking of menus and stuff and Stony Street is not just vegetarian so we have meat and fish and stuff as well so vegetables and <laughs> when I'm fe- yeah they just always you know they feed your soul and nourish you they and do don't they always and I love and I think we sort of eat with our eyes so I always really want things to um, really appeal and and sort of lift people up even from looking at it and then eating it obviously and then I love chocolate um, especially dark chocolate um, and Serena made the most delicious tiffin which yeah. was so good so thank you um, but yeah I always I love I find it quite hard to end a meal without having like a couple of bits of chocolate or something me too me too <laughs> I've been thinking lately that I really should stop, but I really like it. No, don't stop. Me and my boyfriend have said that we maybe should stop our chocolate habit because some days we just nail a whole bar of dark chocolate. I know. Like after a meal. Yeah. Yeah. In the evening. Uh, Yeah, always. Me too. With a cup of tea. Delicious. I saw somewhere as well, I mean, the power of Instagram, things stick with you in your mind, but someone on Instagram that I follow was like, I've stopped eating dark chocolate at night because it was so much caffeine and I shouldn't be having that much caffeine. Yeah. But, and then I was like, oh, but I do that every single night. But do you so sleep well? No. You know, I think that too. I go in phases of thinking, oh, maybe it's the reason why I haven't, been, I haven't slept well that night or something. But yeah. I would never have thought of that. I, like, eat half a bar of lint and still sleep like a baby. Well, that's yeah. fine. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Carry on, then. I'll have a whole bar tonight and see if it makes a difference. <laughs> <laughs> and your eggs or your other yeah. ingredient, right? I think that's just because when I'm cooking all day, I just don't want to... Once I get home, I want to cook something really, really easy. So it's often just a boiled egg, some toast, and some quickly some leeks or mm, just some seasonal vegetables yeah and um I can't. so I have to blame myself on this because Serena has been 
Serena was away. I was on teacher training, so my brain was a bit like mush. And I was going to do some lovely like pink pickled eggs for Henrietta. And I completely forgot. <laughs> and I'm really glad like you forgot because I think that pink pickled eggs sound disgusting. <laughs> I've never actually them. had pickled eggs. What? No. Me neither, but like homemade pickled eggs. Yeah. Ooh, I think yeah. they could be- and they're quite beautiful. They are beautiful. That's they like look great. <laughs> they would have looked great on our platter. Yeah, but don't worry at all. I think I pickled eggs are very Dr. Zeus. Like <laughs> green eggs and a spam or whatever. A green egg spam and pickled eggs. <laughs> I sort of think of pub food and, you know, when you see the pickles and the onions. I love pickles. So, yeah, I think they're good for energy. Good yeah. Good for filling mm-hmm. and energy. And I went through a slightly vegan phase and the thing I most missed most of the eggs really I think they sort of give you a boost yeah my mum um it when you say you just get home and you just want to make eggs it always reminds me of my mum and we'd be out in the day or something and we'd get home and be like oh what's for dinner and she'd be like oh let's just have some eggs on toast and I as a child was like Ugh. yeah <laughs> boring scrambled eggs yeah. yeah but now I really appreciate that yeah I think I ate a lot of eggy bread as a child yum mm. eggy bread with ketchup Mm. And then my friend introduced me to eggy bread with cinnamon sugar. Ooh. Delish. Like French toast vibe or... Yeah, but I've never called it that. Okay. Eggy yeah. bread. I, yeah. I was a brownie and then a guide. And Aww. camps with eggy bread. Was really I can amazing. imagine you as a little... <laughs> me too. <laughs> I didn't do rainbows. But, anyway. but eggy bread was great on camps. Mm. It was the best thing. Yeah. So what did you make, Serena? We had... A, I'm just looking so I don't forget anything. We had a beetroot hummus mm. with uh, rainbow carrots, cucumber, radishes, some sugar snap peas, which I believe to be the best crudité for dipping. Mm. Yeah, they were really good. My fave. And some delicious Peter's Yard sourdough seedy crackers. Mm-hmm. And then, last minute, we made, Sarah made hummus, not plain hummus, with um, Bella Zoo apricot harissa. And I am particularly excited by Sarah's hummus because <laughs> I'm obsessed with supermarket hummus. And I know that's really unauthentic, inauthentic and whatever, but I love the taste. And I don't know why your hummus tastes like supermarket hummus. And it's <laughs> so yummy. What I did. Sarah doesn't know what she did differently to normal, but it's honestly one of the nicest hummuses I've ever had. It, I, I tasted it and I thought, yeah, it tastes like... So that was great. And then we had some chocolate tiffin, which I started with good intentions. I was going to make vegan shortbread to crush into it, and then I didn't have time, so I used ginger nuts. And the base is still like, quote unquote, quote, healthy. It's like coconut oil and maple syrup and peanut butter rather than like butter and white sugar and all that and then some buckwheat some coconut some raisins some almonds uh and the ginger nuts i'm already excited to have another piece me too it may or may not be during recording when i left this morning my boyfriend was like have a nice day but if you don't come back with a piece of that for me you're not welcome home this evening we'll save you some we'll take him some yeah (laughs) so that was our picnic it was delicious delicious. yeah without any pickled eggs And it's quite a nice sunny day today, so it doesn't feel like we should have really... I feel like spring's here today. Yeah. I went for a swim before and someone said, um, it's March now, it's not winter anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It really suddenly feels... And the birds are singing really loudly today. Yeah. 
Basically summer. Basically summer. So we love having foodie guests on because Sarah and I could literally talk about food all day long. Um, <laughs> did food always play Pele? Did food always play a big part in your life from a very young age? Yes, I think so. Um, I grew up in Suffolk and uh, my, um, but my parents grew up in London um, but moved, I think they wanted to bring me and my brother and sister up in the country um for various reasons but yeah being in the country and just surrounded by nature and things instead of in the city I think was one of them and my mother started a vegetable garden so had that all our lives which was really lucky for us and um we had chickens and things so had our own eggs um sort of local friends would have would bring over pigeons and pheasants for sort of 50p and so we got slightly sick of having like a co-op chicken Kiev was a real treat (laughs) (laughs) or yeah or escalops or something um so we yeah always knew the sort of tasted and knew the importance of sort of local food and fresh food and seasonal food um and my parents loved to cook so I think I got sort of a bit of their love for cooking and good food. Were you quite involved in the growing of the the vegetables? Not really. No. I picked it. I helped pick. And mm. oh, that's that's involvement <laughs> as a child. Yeah, not so much the growing. And I still don't. I mean, I know a bit about when you need to sow the seeds for certain things, but I want to learn more about it. Um, yeah, a lot of picking, a lot of like watching Wimbledon in the summer and topping and tailing gooseberries and French beans and things. Um, so, and a lot of, yeah, all the prep and stuff. It sounds so quintessentially British. That's the word that just came into my head yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, it was lovely. The first time I went to Suffolk, I... Uh, did I message you on Instagram? I think so, um, maybe. Ask me where to go to yeah, eat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, and do you remember what, where you told me? Or where would you say, say? I think I just said, or, did I say Orford? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to Pump Street. To I Pump did actually Street. bring, I bought some chocolate. <gasps> did you? Yeah. Oh, what a treat. So Henrietta said, because um, my... But I opened it. Did you, did you eat it last night? Someone gave it to me and I thought, their chocolate's so nice. I thought, am I just seeing any friends soon who I can give it to? Oh. And then I thought, no. And then I ate some last night and then I thought I could bring some. So Henrietta has pulled out of her bag some Pump Street chocolate. Pump Street is in Suffolk, but it's sold everywhere now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's like... Have a bit. And it is wow, how lovely. It's so delicious. have you tried these ones? I don't think these ones, no. This so is like the a rye crumb, milk and sea salt. And this is sourdough and sea salt. Because they started as a bakery. Yeah. So the man who co-founded it with his daughter, he taught himself how to bake sourdough. And then he taught himself how to make chocolate <gasps> bean to bar. He's quite an amazing That's so cool. So now they have the sort of bakery, um they call it their bakery line of the the bars. with their bread yeah and they is have one like cakes bread or i think so yeah they must yeah try a bit delicious okay. but yeah did i say pump street you said pump street and then you said um what's the lovely fish restaurant thanks babe. the oyster yes yeah and we did went you know? to go there and missed their lunch damn it and my boyfriend I've no, i he doesn't get upset or angry that was the only time i've seen him was he hungry hungry and it was just like <laughs> Sarah, you knew I wanted to go there. Why did you drag me to that fair before? Oh no! <laughs> that chocolate's delicious. It's good, right? Oh my god! Ooh, 
The texture of it. Yes, yeah, I love salty chocolate. Oh, I forgot to say. Your Malden sea salt was on top of the uh, tip Yes, in. of course. <laughs> Thank you. Because I'm also a Malden <laughs> obsessive. <laughs> Thank that you. That is so yummy. And it really tastes like rye. Mm. Mm. Tastes really bready, doesn't oh, it? Oh, I love that. Tastes like crackers mixed with chocolate. Mm. Like, oh, did you ever used to have when you were little? If we ever went to France, we'd eat white baguette with a lump of milker in it. Milker chocolate. No. Yes, yeah, it's like that. But like my father used sandwich. to do that. Mm. Yeah. He went on a Swiss exchange and that's what they did. Delicious. Yeah. It's got to be a really great. nice baguette and then just like standard milk or chocolate. Then you melt it, put it in the oven. Oh, no. To... My dad used to do oh. that. Oh, okay. Well, he's better than me then. I'm going <laughs> to melt it next time. Try it. Delish. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that must have been a really amazing upbringing and yeah. probably something you only really appreciate when you're an adult, right? That I think you so. Look back and be like, wow, that was so special that we were so involved in seeing how vegetables were grown and... Yeah. where things came from yeah definitely and that's still a massive part of your cooking now right yes yeah a lot but I was also a bit of a I, I was I studied a lot I was a bit of a geek and um I think I still am a bit so when I um <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, I loved I did languages I love languages at school and then I did that at university because I never I wasn't quite sure if or how I knew I wanted to do something with food when I grew up, um, <laughs> when, I grew up but, and when I was thinking about what to do after school and things, I thought I wanted to do something to do with food, but I didn't think I could go into crazy kitchens. Um, and then I thought maybe food writing or journalism or food history. I love food history as well. Um, but I also love languages. So I went to university first and I did French and Italian. And I thought maybe because they're such sort of gastronomically yeah. amazing countries. Yeah. I thought maybe living, because I had five months in Avignon and five months in Bologna. And then, so, I th- yeah, I thought whilst doing my degree, I might think of something more to do with food because I knew I didn't really want to be a translator or an academic. Um, <laughs> just wanted to learn the languages and eat more of the food from both <laughs> of those countries. Um, so, yeah, and then I had this year abroad and... Um, surrounded by amazing food and especially wonderful patisseries in France and in Italy um and that and I always when I did cook when I was younger and at home um like the first things I learned to make were crumble and sponge cakes and my granny was a very good cook as well and her apple pie was always great and so I I learned more of the sweet stuff first and I think I always liked doing more of that stuff also because you could be more a bit more sort of creative and artistic when it came to the presentation Mm. and I love art as well so then I did something called the professional patisserie scholarship after university so straight out of university you did yeah yeah yes I went to Westminster Kingsway College but I was only there the sort of it's sort of based slightly on what they do in France when um people want to be chefs and they do these apprenticeships so I did um a week at college a month and then three weeks at work and I worked at a hotel called the Lanesborough on Hyde Park Corner. So it was basically two years working there, learning on the job. Wow. Which was really, really good. And I had a wonderful boss and mentor and, yeah, it wasn't as frightening. I was frightened to start with (laughs) Um, because you had to go and I had to sort of find the workplace and go into various... I went for a trial at the Landmark and the Mandarin Oriental and places wow, like so that. Wow, so the big, the big dogs yeah. of hotel. Yeah. London, yeah. I went to, also went all the way to Oxford and went for a trial at Le Manoir. 
Oh, wow. And it's then my they, dream to go there. It's lovely. Oh. It's really, really lovely. But then I, I arrived Raymond. and they said, yeah, he's great. <laughs> Have you met him? Uh, no, I haven't. He's, he's like wonderful. my fave chef. Love him so much. Henrietta. No, <laughs> my favorite male chef, <laughs> apart from Jamie Oliver, but Raymond Blanc. Yeah. So you went and had an interview there? Yes, but I got there and they said, oh, actually, we don't want an apprentice this year, <laughs> which was... Thanks. That's fine. I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was better being in London. So I worked at the Lanesborough and then various other... They used to have an Italian restaurant there and I thought that would be good for keeping up my Italian because even though it was London... In London, all the chefs there were Italian. None really? Of them yeah. Wow. None of them spoke English. And how, what was the um, percentage of male to female chefs? Um, at So when I was in the pastry kitchen for the hotel, um, it was sort of one-to-one. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I think it, but more in the main kitchen, there were definitely more men. Um, and then when I moved over to the Italian restaurant... I was actually only the only woman. <laughs> the only woman and the only English-speaking person. Apart from there was another, the sort of head chef, the executive chef, which is like the big dog. Yeah. He was Italian and his sous chef was Italian, but then the sort of head chef was English. So Will and I were the only English people wow. there. Because when, when you think of working in a kitchen as a chef, you do, you instantly think, I mean, I've been a waitress, so... Her, I've seen it firsthand. It's like high pressure, mm. people shouting, and to see you and and to see how sort of delicate and soothing you are. I could just <laughs> never imagine you in that sort of environment. How do you how do you deal with that? Or was it like that? And um, how did you deal with it if it was? Yeah, uh, luckily, the first at the Lanesborough, it was a really lovely team. And um, we all really supported each other. And yeah, my boss, she was she was tough, but also very kind and fair and really nurturing and taught me so much, um, like everybody else did in the team. And I think once you... But then I did... I have experienced other sort of more... The Italian restaurant was slightly more shouty and <laughs> a bit crazy, but also quite fun in a way. You're sort of spending so much time with these people. Yeah. They become bit like family yeah some of them are awful and <laughs> don't want to see them ever again <laughs> most of them were great um yeah and you're because you're also spending all this time together and there's such a rhythm and you've got to all be communicating and knowing what everyone else is doing you sort of start to sort of yeah getting each other's rhythms and slightly sort of dance around each other yeah um especially in service when you've got to get all these plates out and stuff but luckily I haven't experienced too many crazy shouty places um did you ever find you had to sort of wind down from that environment um I think maybe because it was my first job and because I don't know I hadn't I didn't have anything to compare it to yeah I just sort of threw myself in and got on with it when you're when you're there and you've got a good team around you and you're working together and you're sending all the plates out and you get to the end of service it's very re- rewarding, but yeah, there's there's a bit of stress and stuff, and I'm trying to figure out how. To st- I'm still even now because I had a I worked in kitchens about five years, and then I moved back home to Suffolk, and that's when I wrote my first book, and then came back to London, but would have been more freelance for a while, doing cookery classes and did another book, and 
pop-ups and stuff like that. So busy. Busy. And then I didn't quite, and then I did a residency last year and then it led to being the head chef of a restaurant. And I'm not quite sure how this has happened. But yeah, so now I'm back in kitchens, which I didn't, I wasn't really, after being freelance for a while, I wasn't, I didn't quite expect it. Um, But really enjoying it, but also still, yeah, sort of working out how to unwind after that busyness of everything. It's quite hard. I find it quite hard to switch off. I said to my friend the other day, who's also a yoga teacher like you guys, she said, well, is it switching off or switching on? And so, mm. so the more switching on to non-work stuff. And Yeah. She said, it's a nice way to look at it. It is, isn't it? Yeah. She's talked to me about some mantras and things like that, which were don't think. So she's telling me to be more in my body. Yeah. Not think or overthink. Don't think. I don't know. And uh, let go. <laughs> I don't know is a great one, isn't it? Yeah. Because we always think we should have all the answers to everything. Mm. So anyway. Um, Your cookbooks, your website and your Instagram are all so beautiful. That were like such a feast for the eyes. (laughs) Are you interested in the photography side as well or purely the cooking? Um, I take them all on my phone. Mm. Um, I did at one point think about pursuing more, thinking more about learning how to photograph properly. But... um, no, I I think I definitely, when I take photos, I definitely think about, you know, a good angle and the right light and all that stuff, but I don't have a proper camera or anything. But um, I did do, I did all the food styling. I, I mean, I did all the cooking and styling for both of my books. Wow. And I'm really interested in the props. And I did most of the props because we did the first one and a, sort of three quarters of the second one at my parents' house. Much to their <laughs> delight. <laughs> um, no, I think it, was, it wasn't too bad for them, I hope. But um, yeah, so they've got loads of... My mum, she um, did art at Camberwell and she's a ceramicist, so she has a very good eye mm. and lots of lovely bowls and plates and everything around. So luckily we had all of her stuff. Very and lovely. So that's really important to me as well. And I think so many food books coming out now it's hard to be different Mm -hmm. um so yeah hopefully they've got slightly something a bit different about them but yeah I do I love all that the styling bit and everything your clean cakes book is like the most beautiful cookbook ever for anyone who hasn't seen it oh my god (laughs) sometimes I look and I think cakes (sighs) sometimes it's a bit crazy that was it was slightly thrown in at the deep end because my publisher didn't have a budget for any kind of help so it was a bit mad. Sometimes I think there's like five different patterns of <laughs> different fabrics. And <laughs> do you look now it's beautiful. Like, God, I'd never do that now. Um, only some bits, but I quite love it. Yeah. There's a lot of colour and, and pattern. Your and... first like love put into a, into yeah. a cookbook. Yeah. Um, can you tell us which recipe it was now? What do you th- which do you think it is? Well, is there one that everyone loves the most or, or is there one that's your favourite? I was thinking when you first said it, I was thinking of the tahini. There's a tahini and walnut biscuit with a sort of... No, but I love the sound of pretend that. Pretend white chocolate. Top. That's been on, that's been top of my list of the next one to you try from that the one. Yes. But then you said it's a cake. Yeah, mm, maybe it's not a cake. Oh. I mean, it's like, it's a round big one, but technically it might not be a cake. Not the chocolate and hazelnut. 
Yeah, I, I love it. It's With, good. It's like a, cha- a, a cha- hazelnut, chocolate and <laughs> hazelnut praline tort. Is that what it's called? Something yeah. like that. <gasps> oh, but my do you put the eggs God. in it? Yeah. Because I don't mind eggs in things. Oh, okay. I just don't love to eat oh, an I see, egg. I see. Yeah. Um, oh my god, it's delicious. Yeah, everyone likes that one. I've made that for so many people's birthdays. <laughs> Can you make stuff. it for me? Yeah, it's I insane. Got a I think I need a whisk. I don't have an electric whisk though, because you have to whisk one. the egg whites. Yeah. Um, I've got one. You could do it by hand. You're bit, probably a bit lazy. No, I've got, I've got quite a bad wrist, but I will. Sarah, I'm going to make it for you. It That Thank is you. one of my favourite cakes ever. I'm glad you like it. It's, cute. it's got like hazelnut butter in it and you mix it with coconut sugar to make praline and like, oh. I don't know if I'm saying all the bits right. <laughs> yeah, you God, are. It's delicious. No, I like that one. So that's my favourite. But that book is gluten-free, dairy-free, refined, sugar-free. Yeah. Yeah. What's your, what would you say your food philosophy is? And has that changed in the years that you've been kind of involved with food as your job? Yeah, definitely changed a lot. Um, But uh, so I wrote that I come out of kitchens and I was very, very tired, Um, (laughs) quite exhausted and wasn't really sure about the next step. So I moved back home to my parents' house in Suffolk Um, and... I'd also been sort of, you sort of work really long hours and you get sort of staff lunch and stuff, but it's normally pretty like pasta and not much goodness. So I got home and had my mum's vegetable garden again and was eating all her really good food, nourishing food. And I thought, and again, and surrounded again by other stuff like that. My parents had friends who were just starting to grow their own wheat and spelt and rye. So um started to get a bit more inspired by more local stuff and sort of I'd done my training, but with obviously very classically and with, you know, white flour, white sugar, all that. And I wanted to start putting more good stuff into the things that I cooked and baked, especially because I'd done the whole five years in pastry kitchens um but I was also quite uh neurotic about food um and I think the first book was I learned a lot it was great to write it but it was also sort of it was it came out at a time when yeah Delicious Yellow was really taking off and Melissa and Jasmine Hemsley started Mm. to do their thing and I think I was slightly influenced by this real sort of healthy food um sort of movement movement yeah Yeah. um and also slightly by my um controlled eating so that's where this book it sort of came from a number of things but also because controlled but also sort of I want to eat very nourishing food but it got probably a bit far I think Mm. and led to an eating disorder but um I also discovered loads of really amazing ingredients when I wrote that book so teflour and buckwheat and loads of things so I would never not have written it and I don't regret anything um it's part of your journey to yeah, where you are now definitely um sometimes I also think I mean I, I think a lot of people at that time did get into a quite a obsessive way of yeah wanting to make sure that you were getting enough goodness and yeah I definitely felt it I think you were probably the same right were you 
mean, you might not have been. I was, I was definitely much stricter on like no white sugar, no white yeah. flour. Mm, yeah. yeah, that yeah, because it was a big part for me as well. But I think almost it makes you appreciate ingredients even more mm-hmm. for like even white flour and white sugar and just everything, everything in moderation. Exactly. Just enjoying all. For what it is. Yeah, definitely. But then using some of those alternative ingredients, not so much, well, not just for their like quote unquote health profile, but also for the flavour and stuff yeah, that they bring. Yeah, in. yeah. Exactly. Variety and Yeah. Yeah. So I've always been about flavor. I think all the ingredients I choose are I mean, there's coconut oil and mm, I don't know, I think in my first bit there's things like maca and all mm. these things, but I love but coconut oil has such a lovely sort of vanillary flavour mm. and Maca is all caramelly and really delicious. So I've always, even though there was this underlying, underlying, underlying controlled eating mm. thing, yeah, I think that combined with being a perfectionist and also really loving flavour, even though I was slightly controlling the amount of things I would be tasting and stuff, I always really wanted everything to taste great. So I was choosing all these ingredients, like the buckwheat because it's lovely and earthy and the teff because it's got a sort of molasses flavour. Everything for there really great flavours and then they just sort of happen to be pretty good for you as well and then when I wrote my second book which is slightly more it's got a bit of everything um so the same thing rye flour because I love the flavour and it's got butter in it but I think a bit of like proper bit dairy is very good for us and so that's more of a big mix and when I was a bit less worried about everything I was eating I think I was sort of, I finally got over all that now, but it took a while. Yeah, it's sort of been this, um, what's the word? I don't know. It's sort of all evolved with, with myself and me figuring stuff out, mm. and which I, is, I like. It's, yeah. <laughs> I find it, yeah, sometimes I, I used to burst into tears whenever I talked about it, um, but now I'm a bit better at speaking about it. Yeah, and I've grown in a lot of confidence, and now I feel... I look at other chefs and think they have, you know, a lot more, ex- I don't know. I'm, I can't explain it. <laughs> but I'm happy to Imposter wear a syndrome. Yeah, yeah, I seriously get that. I get that a lot. Um, but I'm happy at, at sort of where it's all got me. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So obviously British produce has been a massive part of your life. Yeah. How Do you still work a lot with... British farmers and for your for your restaurant and yeah how do you how do you source your ingredients mm-hmm. now so I use a lot of I'm in contact with a lot of people in Suffolk still um people like Codmodods mm. who have really great pulses and they have quinoa yeah, right? yeah yeah great quinoa. They, they have really good quinoa and they started doing chia season so they do a lot of um work with um scientists basically and working out all these um because obviously quinoa has only been, really been grown in South America, so finding the right soil to grow that and everything like that. And they've just started to grow chickpeas as well. So they're really, really amazing and pioneering. And then who else? Hodmodods, and there's an amazing farm called Wakelands. It's an agroforestry farm, which is, means um, agriculture and forestry. So right. it's um, incredibly biodiverse, and it basically has alleys of crops so whether it's hodmodels lentils or uh, wheat or other ty- other grains um interspersed with alleys of trees mm. with apple trees or yeah loads and loads of fruit trees but also um 
nut trees and things like that and so all really these diverse really diverse ones, and yeah. all the roots are talking to each other oh, and helping each other and yeah so they're, they're wheat what is that called again? it's called wakelands wakelands yeah um, in, in Suffolk in Suffolk and sometimes Suffolk honey although I used to have a car in London now I don't so when I order loads of honey it's quite hard figuring out how to get it back to me <laughs> <laughs> um and then other people as well. I um, met this really amazing woman called Abby Glen Cross. Um, she's a farmer, but she was sort of a scientist, but now but loves farming and has been doing a lot more of that over the past sort of three years. And she started growing einkorn, which is an ancient variety of wheat um, in Hertfordshire and has recently started a vegetable garden there which is sort of run by a company called Pale Green Dot, who um, they pick up compost from a lot of food waste, basically from a lot of London restaurants, and then take it to an anaerobic digester. And then the compost made from that goes back to the their farms. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Really, really great. So it's like a full circle. Yeah. Um, so we use two of the farms that they grow vegetables with, one in Hertfordshire and one in Sussex. Um, and do they pick up the Stony Street? Yeah, they pick well. up all our stupid waste. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really good. Because I think that's what, um, it's fine, sort of when you're cooking for yourself or you and your flatmate or your partner, you sort of, it's very easy to be a lot more conscious of waste and things. But once you're doing it on a Last huge scale. scale, you get so much more conscious of everything. Um, so knowing that all our food waste is is having that going back to the soil yeah, and doing like 360 good. yeah coming back to you again and yeah yeah it's very very important and a relief to know that that's something and then we recycle and everything like that but still a lot to figure out i don't know how restaurants like silo and places do it yeah <laughs> they don't have any bins it's crazy really yeah wow so it's they use they use everything, everything. and yeah, a lot of. I suppose it's also really being having this um, really close contact with the farmers is really good because they bring us everything in boxes and nothing's in plastic, and then we just empty it and we give them back the boxes. So there's no sort of packaging and things, mm. which is really really good. Um, yeah, and the main thing is is coming from so close, and it, therefore it tastes really good, which is the best thing about it. Your Instagram bio says forging a community between farmers and chefs to ignite change in our food systems. And so we'd like to know, please, what are the main changes that you'd like to see in our food system and what can all of us as individuals be doing to help? Yeah. Um, so I suppose, well, I read that in the summer. <laughs> I was, we've been stalking. Hey, so when people quote you back to yourself. No, no. It's good, it's fine. Um, <laughs> I think when I wrote that, it was the summer, and I was sort of, as well as using lots of existing suppliers that I'd used at my residency in Leighton, I was also um, seeking out a lot of new suppliers and farmers. And I was just realising the importance of, even more so, of knowing where food is coming from. Um, I think, obviously, if you know where it's from and you know how it's being grown that's very important. I also think for us chefs, I mean, I've seen the the effect it has on 
everyone I work with, they like when the delivery arrives with these amazing vegetables, or if I tell them that the beef we're using is free range and from Scotland, and they just, I think it really affects them and they, it makes them happy that they know that everything is coming from good sources mm. um, and the soil and the land is being treated properly and not being depleted of all its um, nutrients by loads of pesticides and things. And then I think once it gets onto the plate, when there's all this behind it, all of the proper sourcing, and I think it sort of has more flavour in a way. There's more substance to it if you know where it's all from and you actually know that farmer and you've spoken mm. to them rather than them having no identity. And I think they really appreciate that and it makes their job a lot more worthwhile when they know where it's going to. Um, and so I think if there can be more of that and more communication between the the producers and the consumers, everything will improve. But it's also, there's so many reasons, you know, not sadly not everyone can afford that yeah. food or not every. I think the main thing is that not everyone knows how to cook and I think that's the, um, I think starting to teach more in schools about how to cook and grow is like where we really, really need to start. That's a big thing that's missing, I think. Yeah. But also I think the community thing is, yeah, this link between the chefs and the farmers and everything, it's just, um, it's really important. For Especially for, for the younger generation as well, because they can see food in a supermarket and they don't even know what the plant looks like or how yeah. it looks grown exactly. and they just think of it as like something in a tin or something in a package in packaging yeah I actually sorry I'm telling lots of anecdotes today but I was teaching cooking in a, in a camp in America a few a while ago and we were using a lot of um sort of real ingredients and it was real cooking all they'd done was make cookies and stuff which is lovely but we I was really um pushing to take them to a farm nearby and mm. actually see what the ingredients look like in real life growing yeah and they'd just never seen it before yeah and then they didn't put two and two together of how how things are grown they literally just thought that it, food was like from a supermarket and that's where it came from yeah and yeah. how they, old were they the um, kiddos age bet- ranges between seven and fifteen um scary isn't it yeah i mean it's definitely a massive it's a bigger thing in america america because their local is what they call local produce is i don't know like 200 miles or something Mm. and probably more than that probably like 500 miles radius Mm. and so it is great in in great britain that we have got yeah everything so close to us yeah really and and in europe i mean that's probably changing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think if anyone can come to Stony Street and think, oh, that taste is really delicious, what maybe ask a few questions about why it tastes so delicious, and then maybe leave and think, oh, maybe I'll try and buy my vegetables from the local farmer's market. If it can, it's like, that's what I meant about igniting change. Yeah. If it can sort of, I don't want, I don't want it to take the joy out of eating in any way, but if someone can just come and eat and be slightly change their aspect and things and think a bit more about how they're buying their food and yeah, stuff just be inspired by it yeah yeah i think it's important but like you i when i when we grew up um some friends lots of friends because my parents lived in london 
lots of their friends would come and visit with their children. And I always remember some friends coming and um, my mother had made a sponge cake for tea. And because we had our own hens, it was their, their yolks were bright orange. So this cake was sort of fluorescent. Wow. And they just, these twins, some really close friends, they were like, why is it so yellow? And they just did, wouldn't eat it. Because they were really? Yeah, they weren't used to sort of proper eggs. And they thought it looked really straightforward, probably compared to, I don't know, maybe a Victoria sponge from a supermarket. Yeah, yeah. That's actually another little test I did in America. We had um, a farm that we picked up the eggs from and I did an order for like shop-bought eggs and we compared the difference and it was really mental, the difference. Like fresh that day eggs compared to, I don't know how long they'd been in the shelf for, but the children were like, whoa yeah and they all preferred the farm fresh yeah yeah it's it's amazing farm fresh (laughs) just a very quick simple one what is your favorite cake oh god (laughs) um i love probably if i go home and my mother makes she hasn't for ages um just a proper sponge cake victoria yeah completely nice that was probably the first thing i learned from her which and then which is the most simple um we had proper scales with ounces not electronic mm-hmm. ones so the her rule was six 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 three so six ounces butter six ounces sugar six ounces self-raising flour or normal flour with lots of baking powder and three eggs and then simple and yeah and we have an aga and i swear that cakes cooked in an agar taste better. Really? There's something I'm with you. Them. Yeah. Everything about agar is better. Yeah. <laughs> but I also do love a really solid sort of chocolate, really, really rich chocolate cake or something. Or a tiffin. I was going to say, or a tiffin. <laughs> or a tiffin. <laughs> yes. I said that, didn't I? But yeah. it's not a cake, <laughs> so it's okay. <laughs> Let's talk about your healthy habit. Yes. we've left that to last. Um, what is your healthy habit? You've already mentioned it. Is swimming at the Lido in London Fields or main, or yeah, any kind of outdoor swimming. Um, and then sometimes breakfast at E5. But the main bit is the swimming. Is London Fields heated? It is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this isn't, because we had a cold water swimmer on a yeah, couple so of weeks ago. When and I was like, oh my goodness, you're another one. <laughs> which lighter was So um, Sophie said do any, any cold water. So I went to Parliament Hill with her and Serena went to... Brockwell. Brockwell. It was an experience and a half. I haven't either. It was, yeah, it was really, really fun. I mean, it's not a leisurely swim. It's like a get in for three minutes, get out. Yeah. Um, but your healthy habit also inspired because I'd never been to London Fields Lido haven't you? it's so I, close I mean, I have now <laughs> but I, I used I to live right by there as well yeah so that's probably going. now yeah. because of Boone but I used to live really close and it was the summer that it got refurbished that I was there I see so you didn't go I never went and I was gutted Damn. and um, it was on Valentine's Day this year so a few weeks ago and I was like, okay, I've got to get Henrietta's healthy habit in. <laughs> and I woke my boyfriend, boyfriend up really early. And I was like, we're going to London Fields for a Valentine's morning swim. <laughs> so we went and then, I mean, we actually ended up going to Popham's instead. That's all right. <laughs> instead of E5. But I do love E5 as well. Yeah, it's good. Um, so it, it was great. It was such a lovely morning. Yeah, I love it. 
it was so it felt really luxurious yeah like a spa <laughs> yeah it's lovely they keep it they keep it well they and, do um and i think it's nice in all weathers i've been in the rain and snow and this morning was lovely and i went last night as well <laughs> wow. um just because i had just because of work and stuff i hadn't been able to go all week so went saturday sunday monday um yeah i love it but I'm, i love even more swimming in the sea yeah especially it's not sexy. yeah i feel like it just blows away all the cobwebs and really lifts you up do you have a favorite swimming spot uh in suffolk we just my dad and i go a lot to Aubrey. yeah but there's a bit further down it's a bit secret but i don't think it is i think <laughs> it's just got you don't have to pay for parking i like swimming i think it helps one uh, i had a massage once and whenever i have massages everyone always says you're really tense <laughs> but this woman said and i said i did swim a lot and she said that's really good for breathing so i like that i like doing something when i wake up and i look forward to it rather than sort of dreading it otherwise i don't think i would do it yeah. so that's a good exercise for me and it's also good because i'm on my feet all day so it's a really low impact thing obviously yeah. Um, rather than like going to the gym and pounding a treadmill or something. Yeah. <laughs> like weightlessness in water. Yeah, yeah. So I really like it. Do you want to share any of your recent swimming experiences? <laughs> Things are a little bit less glam at Vauxhall Leisure Centre. <laughs> get, a, get a croissant from Sainsbury's Local as my breakfast <laughs> afterwards. It's not quite as cool. So many things that happen in East London. I know. Really like, damn it! I need to move to East London. It's definitely less Instagrammable. Have you always what, been sad? Better health at Vauxhall. Mm-hmm. Um, have I always been sad? Yeah. 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 No but I have I have toured the local swimming pools. Kings Road is my favourite. Chelsea yeah. Leisure Centre. Clapham's okay. Vauxhall. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Henrietta, you've been lovely. Oh, okay. Thank you so much for coming. Is that it? Is that it? <laughs> Don't mean not. We'll let Henrietta have her day off back. I know. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank, Thank you for so coming. Much for coming. Thank you, Henrietta. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so, so much, lovely Henrietta. Isn't she amazing? She is so wonderful. She speaks so softly and she has the most amazing, gentle presence. She's so relaxing to be around and I just would love her to read me a bedtime story, really. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I always imagine that pro kitchens are all like shouting and swearing and very Gordon Ramsay-esque. So I love the idea of someone as calm as Henrietta in there, just doing her thing, keeping the peace. I know. Everyone needs a Henrietta in their lives. Absolutely. I feel like she also reignited an old passion for baking. And now all I want to do is make cakes and cookies. We've made made like three batches of cookies in the last week. Um, Mm. And maybe that would have been her healthy habit if we'd recorded in the current situation baking probably that would have been a good one for people Mm. people get baking and then send us some pics of what you've made yeah and i can send you my address and you can leave some on my doorstep (laughs) (laughs) if you'd like the recipes that we cooked for henrietta head over to at kitchen club podcast on instagram we'll pop her details in the show notes as always and we are going to be front of the queue at stony street once we're allowed out and about again Thank you all so, so much for listening. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Here's a cool fact. 
A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.